Hello, welcome back to Jack Jack Attack by the Pools Will Pulse. This week is all about applications. Seniors, congrats on submitting your November 1st schools. Students here at the Ville, we're gonna talk about what the application committee was looking for when they admitted you. Eighth graders, find out tips, tricks, hints, answers, and explanations for all your magnet application questions. And without any further ado, all right. I'm sitting in room 184, the office of Ms. Wilder and Ms. Dresser, the dynamic duo. I have with me Ms. Wilder, Poolsville High School's very own magnet coordinator. Hello and welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, I'm Ms. Wilder. Hi. Oh God, it's a podcast. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about your history with Poolsville High School? Sure. I've been here 21 years. Um, came here after teaching in a couple of private schools and I was hired by the county and interviewed at a couple of places, and including Poolsville, and decided Poolsville was the place I wanted to be. The other schools, I believe, were middle schools. It was a long time ago. I don't remember the specifics. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I didn't know much about Poolsville, but I enjoyed being out here and the interview, and so I decided to make this my place. And I started teaching in 1999. I had 10th grade honors English. Mr. Kramick was in my class. And I had on-level 11th grade English also. And it was a fabulous schedule. I really enjoyed it. I ended up teaching 12th grade the next year. So I had people like Mr. Kramick for three years in a row. (laughs) English, 10, 11, 12. And I taught juniors and seniors for quite some time. And I really liked having the on-level juniors and the honors seniors because I could identify students in the 11th grade who were college-bound and who were talented students and who wanted more, but who, for whatever reason, felt like they weren't honors English students and in the 11th grade when I had them I could say you know you're gonna be in my honors class next year that's important that you take on honors as a senior and this is what we're gonna do this year in 11th grade to make sure you're ready for that work so I could kind of you know, nurture them and reassure them and help them make that transition from the on level to the honors sections I enjoyed what I was doing very much I was a class sponsor for several years I sponsored lots of clubs um, and National Honor Society was the one I think I had the longest about 10 years of NHS I coached indoor and outdoor track and cross country. Um, it was great. And then about five years into my job, six, seven years at some point, <laughs> <laughs> I became the staff development teacher for the school. So that was full time in that I didn't have any students of my own, but I was in many teachers' classrooms across the school. And it was, it was really exciting to get out of the world of the English teacher and into math classes and science classes and talk more with administration and other roles in the building and really get to know how a school functions um, from an academic sense, you know, across all parts of the building. And, you know, I had a better sense of what students were getting seven periods a day instead of just in my English class. Staff development was a fantastic job and I learned a ton doing it. I, I value that incredibly. It doesn't have a lot of um, immediate clout and leverage when teachers need improvement. The staff development teacher can provide supports but can't say you have to change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when Ms. Dvachnik was retiring from the English department, 
and I felt well equipped with my background at that point to to actually help some teachers make some changes and help people grow. It wasn't that there was bad teaching happening and that needed to change. It was more that wanting people to grow and try new things in the classroom. You know, think about teaching in, in different ways as students were coming through with different needs and different changes. So I interviewed for and, and was given the position of the English resource teacher, the head of the English department. Five years later, Ms. Bradshaw was retiring and I received my, I had earned my administrative credentials about 10 years prior, not knowing if I'd ever use them, but figuring it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> you could only, could only open a door. And when Ms. Bradshaw was retiring, I thought, well, that is an administrative position that I would really like. There's a lot that I don't really have a lot of interest in. I want to be closer to instruction and closer to curriculum and closer to, um, to, to teaching than some administrative positions are. And uh, so I interviewed for that position. I was very lucky to receive it. Yeah, so now you're magnet coordinator. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What are your main jobs as a magnet coordinator? Being interviewed by the Poolsville Pulse is one of the biggest, <laughs> <laughs> one of the biggest duties this fall. <laughs> um, you know, the description says that I'm overseeing um, the the magnet program. So as a whole school magnet high school, that can be a little tricky because it's like, so what don't you oversee if yeah. you're a whole school magnet high school? I do work with the heads of houses and they're invaluable to, to making things run smoothly around here. So they have you know immediate contact with the teachers and the students and their, their programs on a regular basis. And I work with them to think about how they're going to build their programs um, vertically, you know, so ninth, so the, the ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade teachers are all fully embracing what's happening at each grade level. Students shouldn't be experiencing the same thing twice. You know, every year should be building on, on skills that they've already learned and going beyond the prescribed curriculum when there is a like a county curriculum or even an AP curriculum. The students in the, in the humanities AP Lane class shouldn't have the same instruction as students taking AP Lane outside of the humanities program. So helping in the heads of houses and helping teachers see the connections that can be made and the experiences that students can have that make their learning elaborated and more full than it would be otherwise. This time of year, well, kind of throughout the year, I do a lot of work that has to do with promoting the programs. I say promoting. I feel like it's a matter of finding students who are a good fit. Mm-hmm. Just being wicked smart doesn't make you a good fit for one of our programs, yeah. one of our houses. Like You need to also have a passion or an interest or be willing to have a passion or interest <laughs> you know, along those lines. So this time of year, I'm going to lots of middle schools. And then we get into the, the testing part of that process and then the selection part and and then the, oh, you've got invited, you know, more information about Poolsville and our programs before you make the decision. So it's kind of this, this annual cycle that is a big part of, of the work that I do. And the frustration there is that I get to know these students, get to know them on paper, these students as eighth graders, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of my work is done in the fall with students who are not here at Poolsville High School. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd rather be at a volleyball game cheering on our students, the students who I actually walk the halls with. So that's, that's a lot of what I do. I directly supervise the PE and health and science and technology departments, just as the other administrators have departments that they work with. So that's not magnet specific, that's, that's the piece of the, the departmental supervision that I have. Also the media center. And 
What else do I do? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have random responsibilities that aren't necessarily attached to the magnet coordinator. I do master scheduling, which I love. That's figuring out how to get all those classes crammed into seven or eight periods of the day. You know, we offer more upper-level courses in science, math, and technology than the big high schools do. But we have fewer students and fewer teachers and small, fewer spaces that can accommodate those courses. So it's like this huge, crazy logic puzzle to, to make it all work. <laughs> so it's really fun. I like it a lot. Uh, it's very time-consuming in the spring, and then ironing out the kinks until about now in the school year. And I do the emergency planning and safety planning stuff, too, and transportation. So those are kind of less glamorous, but important pieces of my job. I, I did some of the major planning for safety day, along with Mr. Etheridge and Mr. Carruthers. And, yeah, that was, <laughs> like I said, maybe less glamorous, but but uh, takes time to do that work well. Definitely. How would you define or summarize each magnet program? That's a big question. Um, I tend to, at this time of year, really emphasize the similarities among the programs, the three testing programs, as opposed to their differences. Since at this time in the year, eighth graders are making decisions about what they're applying to, but don't know about their decisions in terms of where they will go. They haven't been invited anywhere yet. So I've, I've been talking about and thinking about the similarities between Global Ecology, Humanities, and SMACs and the things that they offer that can't be offered at basic, large, comprehensive high school. And the important points there, I think, are the emphasis on teamwork and collaboration, like real authentic collaboration that, uh, that happens when you have more than a few minutes of time together, when you have extended time, sometimes over several years, to develop relationships with your peers and learning how those individuals work, learning your own strengths and weaknesses through collaboration, and creating authentic products for an audience, whether it's like in ninth grade humanities gallery night or the senior global projects that they, they do and then present, where you're working with others to, to learn something new and then take it and transform it for an audience in a real way. And that's, that takes the time, the blocking, the learning of skills beyond just like a, a ninth grade biology course or English 10. You know, these are our courses in the, the magnet programs go beyond the basic curriculum and can take students, take them in terms of, of, of deeper, richer content, absolutely, but also with an emphasis on those interpersonal skills and workplace and life skills that I think are really important to develop. Yeah. So teamwork collaboration is one. Um, deep research is another. Um, learning how to present, and I mean that really broadly, not just stand up and talk at a class, but present through poetry, present through artwork, present through poster, visual presentations of all different types, present through dynamic and technology-based presentations, present to one person in an interview setting or proposing, you know, proposal type setting, and certainly also speaking to larger audiences, you know, all those different types of presentation that are based on some kind of argument, some kind of, you know, this is how I think, and I think it's important that you understand my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky because there are a lot of kids in every program and mm -hmm. you know it, it's tempting to choose like a stereotype or think of a couple of you know very charismatic personalities and, and make a generalization I think they all value learning but I think they also that students that we have in those three houses typically come in with that attribute as well yeah <laughs> so it can be tricky you know we have students for four years they come to us eager and excited and wanting more and I want them to leave with those same attributes, not feeling like they know it all and not feeling like they've solved the problems, but rather that they're well equipped to take on real challenges. I feel like you want me to, to slice and dice. <laughs> this is global, this is humanities, this is Max. Um, 
I think the students, I don't know if they'd be more accurate in some ways because, you know, you're inside the humanities senior sure. class. So how I see you within that group, and you guys are a special group to me. There are students in the senior classes for, um, for all three of those houses as well as ISP who I taught as freshmen. So I saw you guys as freshmen and then seeing you now in your senior selves is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, you're, you know, you live that. And so yeah. what you feel like is special to humanities, um, you know, it may be. It Definitely. may be a similar experience in global, but maybe discussed differently, you know, different types of experiences, different types of language, maybe in different houses. Definitely. How many applicants do you think Pulsar receives annually? I know we receive over a thousand. Depending on the house and the year, the range in the last few years has been like 500 to 800 applications per house. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, often those are the same students applying to all three houses, so it doesn't add up to to you know 2400 students but yeah <laughs> we're applying here but we still have only 90 seats in global ecology and 60 in humanities and 60 in smack so that's a very competitive market it'll be interesting this year to see what happens with so many options for eighth graders uh, with seneca valley opening up the, all the comprehensive high schools have signature programs and academy they don't all have academy programs but academy type programs there's just so many more options, even from four years ago when you were applying to, to schools. Just there, there's a lot to think about in terms of where you'll be for the next four years. Sure. What circumstances would constitute someone applying to all three programs? Do you think you should do it just to get here? Or do you think there's like a specific reason why you should apply to all three? Well, I, th- I think yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that students or families apply to all three programs with the hope to come to Poolsville High School and would accept an invitation to, to any of those three programs. And I believe there are people who would thrive in all three programs, and that's not problematic per se, to, to want to be a part of any of the, the three test and programs. However, I do think that a student who does not have much interest in a particular house should really rethink accepting an invitation. They can apply to whatever they want to apply to. It's when you get invited that you have to actually make the decision. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's prestige that comes with being at Poolsville High School. I've been here for 21 years. Clearly, I think it's a great place to be. Right. I don't have my eyes on you know, heading elsewhere. But is it the place for every student? I don't know. That's necessarily true. If you don't particularly like a program's focus, <laughs> then, <laughs> then why do that for the next four years? Yeah. Um, Poolsville has amazing things to offer, and other schools have other amazing things to offer, too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can you walk me a little bit through the decision process of the admissions board? Who is it? Where is it? What's happening? Mm-hmm. So the process for... Um, we, we Poolsville, Richard Montgomery, and Blair have the interest-based, criteria-based programs, so we have competitive selective admissions. A lot of the programs around the county are lottery-based. You know, theirs are academically criteria-based programs. So anyway, the process is uh, the same at all three of those schools, and the process has evolved a little bit over the last several years. Well, it's evolved, it's evolved a lot, frankly. Up until about three years ago, everything was done in folders. You know, you when you applied, <laughs> you became a folder, a manila folder, and your name was on it, and um, your ID, and everything that you ever sent us would be stuck in that folder. And I still have that folder in that drawer over there. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, over time, corresponding with you or your family, you know, just continuing putting things in that folder. <laughs> As of last year, we went to fully electronic, fully digital uh, portfolios for students, basically. So at the selection process, everything was on the computer, where in the past we'd been at tables and literally passed this manila folder um, around the table. 
Now things are digital. There was a lot of skepticism and a lot of worry about what that would do to the process, at least from the people in this building who are part of the process. Um, just concerned that it would make it less personable, that it could be less fair to students even in some way. And the outcome actually uh, last year, the feedback that I heard from the folks in the building who participated, they were, they were overall really positive about it and felt like it was just as positive an experience and just as fair and just as kind to students. Sure. <laughs> you, you have to make decisions and sometimes say no um, in these decision-making making meetings and saying no to a, a 13-year-old who really wants something right. and seems like a great person can be very hard, but it's, but it's a necessary process. Sure. So there's certain things we don't know when we're looking at the applicants, and I, and I don't actually make decisions so much as facilitate the process. About half the people in the room are from our staff and about half are from central office, and we're working with people. Usually we pair up someone from the school with central office so that you're working with someone who you you know, you don't think like alike all the time and plan with and know really well. And we're looking at students by ID number, so the name is taken away. That's that's new with the new process, is we, we don't have a name to attach to the, the manila folder. Um, we don't know the middle school, and we don't know race. Um, we do know gender, and if there's any special status for the students, if they have special needs, if they have an IEP, if they have farm status, um, there's certain things that we, we do know that we can take into consideration. And we basically have a, a portfolio of their application and their scores on the magnet test and the magnet essay, but also we can see park scores and some other MCPS data, like their the courses that they took in middle school, their grades, and teacher recommendations. So there's not one piece that would get a student in or keep a student out. Um, right. Many of our applicants have very strong stuff across the board <laughs> and you know it, 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 they're they're easy to say yes to but after you get through the the kind of the, the strong all the way through there's the students who are whose data you know is just relatively less strong and that's a that's an important word throughout the whole process is relative because yeah. we're looking at I mean every kid who's applying is special in that they want something more for themselves and they're generally, you know, strong students, and you know, there, there's, there's not a, a bad kid. <laughs> sure, <mix>. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, I don't know. You come a little skewed looking at the scores and thinking like, wait, compared to like a national average, these are all really, really excellent students. Yeah. It's a, it's a humbling and engaging process. Sure. So I know you're saying now that you're bringing a student to life from ones and zeros mm -hmm. and digital files. So <laughs> how do you make student 376531 come to life? Like, What's the biggest thing that an applicant can do to help you with that process? What they say in their writing can make them come to life. What's tricky about, so, so when you applied, you had three different essays if you applied to three different programs. Mm -hmm. Now there's one statement and it's limited to 200 words on the application. Oh, wow, yeah. So if you're applying to RM, it's still that one statement. So okay. it used to be four, if you applied to RM and Poolsville's three houses, it was four different essays. Now it's oh, one. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a, you know, a good thing. Um, and that statement, though, we know it should be written by the student, but it, you know, it's not written when the student is isolated, so it may be influenced by, by counselors supporting the process or by parents. You know, so you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes based on the, the, the phrasing, it's like, this feels like an eighth grade student. Yeah. <laughs> and that's refreshing because it's like, I want to hear from the eighth grader. Right? I don't yeah. want to hear from the, the parent. Um, but you have to take that with a grain of salt. The essay that they write during the magnet test is important because it's the only 
writing sample that we have. Sometimes students worry that it's graded for correctness in terms of grammar and spelling. It's not. It's scored for, uh, it's scored as a draft. So what are the ideas? And the, the, the format's always basically the same. It's like a quotation and then do you agree or disagree? Mm-hmm. And use some kind of example to support your thinking. So can you come up with some kind of cogent argument? Can you support it with something that makes sense? And can you organize your thoughts in a fashion that is you know, meaningful? Yeah. So that's the basic criteria, um, not the spelling. But you can see students' personality or interests come through that. But we're not looking for a personality so much. You know, yeah. we, we, it, it's tricky. We're asking ourselves, ultimately, does the student have a need for an intense, um, rigorous, accelerated academic program? And if the student has said, I want, you know, I want to be part of global po- ecology, and when they apply, we have to kind of take them at their word that they applied, therefore they have an interest. Yeah. If they're a good fit in terms of the academics, um, that's primarily what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We talk about building students' collaborative skills, but there's no assessment coming in, like, are you a good collaborator? Sure, because yeah. it's our responsibility, if the, if the student needs a more rigorous program than would be provided at the home high school, it's our job to help make the student a good collaborator. Mm-hmm. And we have the time and the um, flexibility in our, in our houses to help them become good collaborators, good presenters, good um, time managers even. Like, we can build in those skills so that by the time they leave, they, they are stronger than when they came in. Yeah. So you have an applicant, they're taking the test. Mm-hmm. What are the different parts of the test? I don't know if I remember. It, even if you remember, it's changed. Okay, perfect. <laughs> a lot has changed. <laughs> a whole lot has changed. Um, so the test is now the COGAT test. Okay. Um, it has three parts instead of two parts. It's three 30-minute sessions, and then also the essay, which is a 30-minute timed writing. The essay hasn't changed. Okay. Um, the, the test day essay hasn't changed. Um, in any significant way at all, except it's on a Chromebook now. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the Cogat is all, is all also on a Chromebook. Um, and the three parts are verbal, quantitative, and nonverbal. So the verbal, and they're all focused on, not on content knowledge, like there's not an eighth grade course that you know, if you're taking this class, you'll do better. Like with the SAT or the ACT, there's a certain level of math that you should know before maybe taking those sure. math-based tests. Yeah. Even the quantitative, the math part of the COGAT is not, it's, it's based on arithmetic. You know, there's, there's basic math and numbers involved, of course, but it's um, thinking about quantities and comparisons. It's thinking about some principles in the, the math realm, more broadly speaking. So given two things, <laughs> if this happens to this and that happens to that, which one will have a greater volume kind of okay. thinking? Um, and the verbal, it's, also, it's obviously word-based, but again, it's not an assessment of have you read this author or do you know about British Lit? You know, you, you do have to have, the better your vocabulary, the, the better off you are, but knowing how words work together is, okay. is important. Um, knowing you know, relationships of words and, and the logic of structures and syntax, that's, that's more important. And then the non-verbal section is totally new and different. So those, those first two are similar to the old test where there's a mm-hmm. verbal and a, a math section. The non-verbal section is um, really like spatial awareness. So there's like a paper folding section. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you give uh-huh. a diagram. You're given the pe- this piece of paper, and it's maybe dark on one side and white on the other side and has a dotted line through the middle. If you know, point A was folded to point B and then point B was folded to point C, what would the resulting shape look like? Oh, cool. And then you're given <laughs> you know, four different 
shapes with different configurations of dark and light and the dotted line. So again, like that's not something that you study for right. in middle school. It's, yeah. it's, and it has to, it, it, it's important. It manifests itself in, um, you know, the, the products that are created in the learning that goes on and, and thinking about, about space and how to use it and designing um, something, whether it's a PowerPoint or a poster, you know, it, it, it's an important skill set, but it's definitely not one that most students would have a lot of familiarity with testing on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's say applicant makes it through the test. They write their 200 word essay. They, they get put on the wait list. Do you have any advice for them? I know it happens. I for one <laughs> know that it happens. Do you yeah. have any advice, any words of inspiration, hope? The hope and inspiration part's easy. We have a lot, a lot of students um, in our walls who were initially on, in wait pools. Like that's mm-hmm. just the reality of having three programs in-house and competing with Richard Montgomery and other high schools programs. You know, we mm-hmm. had students who will choose their home high school, especially now that they have some type of, of special signature program to offer and maybe they didn't in the past. When a student applies and now, it will be maybe seven or eight different programs Richard Montgomery three at Poolsville and then a couple of lottery based kind of programs here and there they get invited to five of those seven well they have to say no to four so that creates a lot of seats that then have to be filled from the wait pools so I've never done the math to figure it out it'd be interesting to do but a significant portion of our students did not initially in the first round receive invitations we're told that they're in the wait pool and then get pulled from the weight pools. And then there's shifting in the weight pools, um, not in the weight pools, but shifting that goes on as as students are invited by both us and Richard Montgomery. (laughs) Yeah. You know, everything's timed to happen um, in tandem Mm -hmm. within the county. So um, Mr. Jellin at Richard Montgomery and I at the same time are inviting, you know, students. And we we don't confer with other schools. And even within the programs, you know, I can obviously see who's in the weight pools and see like oh jack is in the weight pool for humanities and for global Mm -hmm. but we generally don't if if you're the best candidate to invite the committees believe that you're you know they both the global committee wants to invite you to global off the weight pool and humanities wants to invite you then we want you to make the decision ultimately not yeah i mean not have you know someone or some committee decide well jack is going to be this and not that (laughs) so that that's most fair to students and families and it can make the process longer than some people would would like. So that the hope is easy because it's just a fact that if you if you ask around, you know, people will will acknowledge, you know, yeah, I was in the weight pool. Or I, I came, I got invited over the summer. It's very common to hear. And the weight pools are always still there's still students in the weight pool at the end of the summer, and that's hard to yeah <clears throat> to realize you're you're there's not an invitation for you. In terms of of there's not. There's not a lot a student can do to be the next candidate. We don't have ranks in the weight pools. We're really looking at you know, when a hole is created, a seat is opened, what, what's, who's the best candidate in terms of what the big picture looks like, mm-hmm. really. So um, in humanities, you remember the humanities house. You and I both know that there are not as many boys in the humanities house as there are girls. Right. <laughs> so should an opening, um, should a boy leave the humanities house um, over the summer, say, no, thank you, I'm, I've got invited somewhere else, I may look for a boy to fill that seat as opposed to just 
you know, just going to the next girl. And we're, we're permitted to do that. You know, we want balanced programs. Yeah. Um, that kind of thinking, though, can make ranks. And we don't rank. You know, we right. just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone in the weight pool, if you're in the weight pool, it means that we think you can be successful in the program. We think you're an academic match for the program. There's no reason to rank like you'd be a better academic match versus, yeah. <laughs> versus this person. It's more like um, as a whole person, you know, what, what's the best fit for the whole program, for that whole group of 60 students? Sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have any last words for like Magnet Applicants? I a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I am passionate about what I do and about Poolsville and about the Magnet program. So if you get me started, as uh, as some people unfortunately know, like husband's <laughs> like this again. <laughs> um, yeah, I love to talk about it. Thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. Oh, thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ms. Gomer, Kenna, Dora, Andrew, and everyone at the Poolsville Pulse, and thank you so much for tuning in. Join me next week as I talk to Poolsville Town Commissioner Jim Brown about the possibility of Poolsville High School receiving a rebuild for seemingly the first time since the Civil War. Talk to you next time.